Well, good morning, everyone. It is wonderful to see you. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Alistair. I'm the pastor here at Fernie Hill, and I don't know many of you yet, but that will, that will change as time goes on. But what a privilege it is to open God's Word together, so please do grab your Bible and turn to Genesis. So we're starting a new series on Genesis, chapters 1 to 11. But I want to start off by helping us see that stories play a massive role in our lives and in our world, don't they? Some of you here will be grandparents and you'll know the joy of reading books to your grandchildren as they sit on your lap and as you dive into an imaginary world together. Some of you will be parents and might know that you might read bedtime stories to your children as you watch their eyes drift off to sleep and you they are left in a world of excitement and adventure or some of you may love to escape into a novel i was speaking with jennifer earlier on in the week and how much she loves to read thrilled by a fantasy world or maybe you go to different countries all from the comfort of your armchair at home as you journey with missionaries from years gone by See, stories aren't only for children, but they fuel our imagination. They shape how we view the world. They make us excited. They can make us sad. They capture us and they draw us into something outside of ourselves and outside of our day-to-day lives. A story can give words to your feelings and your fears. A story can resonate with you and express a deep desire and longing that you have, which you didn't know you had before. We're a people who largely communicate through stories, aren't we? Try to explain happiness and joy, for example. You're not going to give a dictionary definition. You're going to tell a story of a time that you were happy. Stories are powerful. And this morning I want to introduce us to the greatest story that has ever been heard. It's not a fairy tale, it's not made up, and it is very personal to you because it is also your story. It's the story that answers the questions that we've all probably asked at one point or another in our lives. Where do I come from? Why am I here? And where am I going? This morning we're starting a sermon series in the wonderful book of Genesis, particularly chapters 1 to 11. Well, why? Well, very practically as a church, we're going into a new year. It's a new year of new beginnings. We're the start of a new year. We've got me, the new pastor. We're in our newly renovated building. And we are all eagerly anticipating What God is going to do in and through us as a whole church family, are we not? Now the story of Genesis, the story of beginnings, isn't just a nice story that will encourage us. But these first few chapters of Genesis give us the foundation of almost everything we know and we see around us. How we understand God, what he is like, who he is, how we understand our world, how it functions and the blueprint that underpins everything that we know and how we understand humanity, who we are, how we work and the different roles that we've been given in life. Now, At times as we go through this series, it may get a little bit difficult, but please do stick with me 
Because as we study this wonderful book, our eyes are going to be lifted to see just how glorious our great God is. So now before we dive into Genesis chapter 1 today, let's take a little bit of a step back and take a bird's eye view of the whole book of Genesis and some of the themes that are going to be coming up in the next 11 weeks as we study this together. Now the book of Genesis is a really long book made up of different stories of different people. It's a very structured book that is made up of 10 different sections highlighted by generations. So if you look at your Bibles in Genesis 2 verse 4, it says, these are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created. And then Genesis 5.1 says, this is the book of the generations of Adam. And the same comes in chapter 6 verse 9 and chapter 10 verse 1 and, and so on, 10 times throughout this book. Now these lists have been chosen for a purpose and to prove a theological point. See, initially they start off with the early generations of all of humanity. But as Genesis goes on, the focus narrows in on one specific family line. The family line through whom God's promised Savior would come. So the whole focus of this book of Genesis is that God's promise is fulfilled through God's providence. That God's plans are fulfilled as he works through the history of the world to protect, to care, and to provide for his people, which will ultimately culminate in the new creation. So even here at the very beginning of the Bible, at the start of human history, we see the glorious end that every single Christian will enjoy. Eternity in the presence of God. Eternity with Jesus. So if that's a bird's eye overview of the whole book of Genesis... Very briefly, let's think about some of the big themes that are going to come up that we should be looking out for as we go through these chapters. So in the first three chapters, we're going to see a lot about creation, the identity, worth, and dignity of every single human being. We're going to hear about rest, work, sin, salvation, and marriage, just to name a few. But it's important as we dive into Genesis to note that Genesis 1 and 2, the creation narrative, was not written to answer all the questions that we, the 21st century readers, might have. It answers the question of of who created us and why we were created, rather than the scientific details of the origins of the universe. This book was written by Moses in the Old Testament to the nation of Israel, And one of the big questions that they would have wrestled with is, who is this God who demands so much of me? Who demands obedience from his people? And so one of the big themes of Genesis, etched into every single page, is the splendor and majesty of God. The power and authority of our creator. And then another big theme of this book is the idea of a seed. So after sin enters the world in Genesis chapter 3, God promises a seed, an offspring of Eve, who would come and would crush the serpent's head. Who would put an end to sin, put an end to death, put an end to that separation that exists between God and man. And so as Genesis unfolds, this search for the seed begins. And it's as if with every single child being born, the dad is standing outside the tent or the house 
And he's sitting there waiting, thinking, could this be the one? Could this be the seed who is going to make things right between us and God again? But as it goes on, it's very, very evident that this seed, that this person isn't found in Genesis. But we will see that that person is and can only be Jesus. But that's me getting a little bit ahead of myself. So now that we've had that whistle-stop tour of the book of Genesis, and I hope you're still with me, let's turn our attention to Genesis chapter 1, and we're going to read the first two verses right at the very beginning of the Bible. Genesis 1 verses 1 and 2 say this, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty, darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Now that may seem like a very tiny sermon text for this morning, but these verses contain such awe-inspiring, glorious truths about God that should absolutely blow our minds and leave us in a sense that He alone deserves all of our worship, all of our honor. This is our great God who we have come to serve. And so the question I want us to ask of these two verses is, who is God? And the first thing we see is that God is eternal. And we see that because of how the book of Genesis begins with those famous words highlighted on the screen. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Those ten words in English, seven words in Hebrew convey such glorious truth about God. But we so often skip over them, don't we? We become used to them. It's a bit like a movie that you've seen before or a part of a story that you've read in a book before or that friend who is always telling you the same story over and over again. You kind of zone out a little bit and you just think yada, yada, yada. Heard it all before. Well, often we do the same with these few words in the Bible because we're so used to them. And yet... These are of the greatest importance because they teach us that God was already there in the beginning. Notice how there's no talk of other small g gods. There's no talk of a cosmic battle between deities like Greek mythology, which resulted in a world being created. There's no need for Moses to defend the idea that there is a God because it was just a given that there is a God. But what Moses invites us to see in Genesis is who this God is. Not a God of our own making, not a God of our imagination, but the God of beginnings. Genesis means that, it means origins, it means beginnings. The start of this world, the beginning of human history is all found here. But God, the very first subject of the Bible, the main character of the whole Bible, he has no beginning because in the beginning, God. It means that he was there before time began. God has no beginning because he is the beginning. God makes our beginning. He is the uncreated one who has always been there. In other words, God is eternal. Now eternity is such a hard concept for us to wrap our heads around because we're so focused on time, aren't we? Someone asks you how old you are, you'll be able to tell them exactly how old you are. You might not want to, but that's another story. 
We divide our days into morning, afternoon, evening. We schedule meetings and we like to stick to time. And so to consider God who is himself outside of time is a little bit mind-boggling. But let me tell you why God being eternal is a glorious truth. Because it means that God always has and always will exist. It means that God is not just another material or just another power that exists in the universe. Because if that was true, it would make no difference to us whatsoever. Genesis calls us to see our eternal God. A God who has always been and who will always be. God is outside of time. And therefore, he knows all things from eternity past to eternity future. He knows the end of your life before it even began. And therefore, he sees that big picture of the world because he is eternal outside of time. We can trust him that he is acting for our good. We can trust that he is always looking out for his people. We can trust that he is always working to fulfill his plans, always acting out of love and care for those he calls his own. In the beginning, God means that God existed before the clock started ticking. It means that God is not dependent on anyone or anything because if God needed something to exist in order for him to be God, then he couldn't be God because he would need something else to survive. That would require something that is more powerful than him, something greater, which is impossible because God is eternal. Now try wrap your heads around that. I can't. Everything that we know has a beginning. Imagine it for a second. Our loved ones, one day they were born and one day, sadly, they will no longer be. The houses that we live in weren't always there. The world in all of its beauty hasn't always existed. And yet we use the word eternal so lightly, but it's unimaginable. We can't get our heads around it. We can't comprehend what it means. And I think that is a good thing. Because it speaks to the immeasurable greatness of our God who is beyond comprehension, beyond our imagination, and who is beyond time. God is eternal. And the second thing I want us to see is that God is triune. Now here's where it gets a little bit tricky, but stick with me. The Bible teaches that God is triune, often referred to as the Trinity. Now the doctrine of the Trinity means that there is one God who has eternally existed in three distinct persons, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And it means that these three statements on the screen are true. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are three distinct persons. Each person is fully God, and there is only one God. There's a bit of a theology lecture for you on Sunday mornings. Now, where on earth do I get that from in Genesis 1? Well, the word used for God in Hebrew in verse 1 is Elohim, which is a plural word, therefore describing more than one person. And the word for created in verse 1 is singular, therefore referring to the work of one person. And so, one being. There is a subtle hint here that there is something we don't fully understand about God. That there's something beyond our imagination. And then in verse 2 we read that the, the Spirit was hovering over the waters. 
So here we see God the Father creating. God the Spirit hovering over the waters, which is the idea of a mother bird protecting her young. And then in verse 3, we see God speaking. Now I'm not trying to steal Ian's thunder from next week, but the idea is that God creates by his word. God creates through his words, and who is described as the word of God in John 1 that was read to us earlier? Jesus. So do you see that? We see God the Father creates through his Son, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit hovering over the waters. It is so hard to get our heads around God being three persons and one being. The maths doesn't quite seem to add up. But that's what the Bible teaches. And the doctrine of the Trinity is key to understanding God because the Trinity has exist, has lived in perfect harmony from everlasting. And out of that communion of love, out of that relationship of perfect harmony, the world was created. The Trinity is a beautiful relationship and the creation is an overflow of that delight and love that has existed from all eternity. Which takes us on to our third thing that we see in this passage this morning. God is the creator. Verse 1. In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Now again we need to remember that the creation narrative was not written to answer all the questions that we have. The 21st century readers have about creation and how the world came into being. For example, it doesn't answer questions like when were dinosaurs created? doesn't answer questions about was there a big bang or not. doesn't tell us exactly how old the earth is because that's not the point. The point that Moses, the author, wants us to see is by whom the world was created. And God created out of nothing. There was no molecule, not even the tiniest piece of material that existed before God began his work of creation. One of the things that I do in my spare time when I get a chance, is woodworking. And so I can design something, I can put a piece of wood on a lathe, and I can make a bowl, but I need a template. I need to have an idea in mind. I need something to start off with. I need, at least, that chunk of wood. We are creative beings, but we still need something to begin with, not God. He creates out of nothing. That's how powerful and awesome he is. And the word used for created in verse 1 is only ever used in the Bible in reference to God's work of creation. So everything that we now take for granted, the beautiful scenery of mountaintops, the sound of mighty waves crashing against the rocks, the sound of birds chirping on a spring morning, all of that points to the fact that God is powerful and that God is creative. All the beauty that we see in this world comes from God. And it is breathtaking, isn't it? And so friends, if you ever think God is boring, look at Niagara Falls. If you ever think God is boring, go to Glencoe. Go to the Alps. Go look at all of Scotland on a summer's sunny day. And you will see that God made that out of nothing. That God is not boring. But he is powerful. And he is creative. He made all of that out of nothing. No template, no blueprint, just his power. 
even the very breath that you are currently inhaling and exhaling in your lungs finds its origin in God, the creator. Now, why is that so important to know? Well, put yourself in the nation of Israel's shoes when they first read this book. They've been in slavery in Egypt. They've been told by God to obey his law and follow his commands, to organize basically their entire lives around the worship of God and their relationship with him. And so I imagine an Israelite at that time going up to Moses, tapping him on the shoulder and saying, that sounds like a lot. Why? Why should I obey this God who demands such obedience? Who is he that he can require so much of me? And what does Moses do? I like to think. Well, he says, look at Genesis. What does it say? In the beginning, God created the, and the heavens and the earth. So who is this God who demands such obedience of you? Well, he is the very reason that you live and breathe. He is the one who formed you. He's the one who gave you a purpose, who created you with a plan in mind. He is the God who knows you and who loves you. So how can you not want to know and obey this God? God is the creator. He is so powerful and so mighty. And that should blow us away because this massive, almighty, all-powerful, wonderfully holy God, creating And creative God, who is so incomprehensible, still wants a relationship with us. God is not a distant creator who made things and then left. But he is a creator who wants a relationship with his creation. And we see that being made possible, don't we, in the reading from John 1 earlier in our service. John 1 verse 1 says... In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. John 14 says, And that Word became flesh, made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And so we see that the triune God at work in creation And the triune God is also at work in salvation as God the Father planned from the beginning of the Bible to redeem and save a fallen humanity and a broken world. As God the Son took on flesh and stepped into our mess of a world, into our sin-stained lives, he lived the perfect life that we never could have lived. He died the death that every single one of us deserves and yet he rose triumphantly from the grave. Defeating sin, conquering death, and the Spirit of God has opened our eyes to see the reality of the gospel and to put our trust in Jesus. And even now, God is at work as we gather to praise Him. We're reading His Word, the Bible, as God is working in us by His Spirit, working today as the world hears about Jesus, the Word who took on flesh, so that we could be reunited with our Creator God. God being eternal, triune, and the creator, they're not just theological points that we can mull over in our minds, but they demand a response. They must push, you, push us to praise God. And if we don't know him yet, if you're not a Christian, they invite you to investigate whether it's all true or not. 
This is who God is, eternal, triune, and the creator. Now, why does any of that matter? Because everything we know about God, mankind, and the world finds its origin here in Genesis 1, and it all starts with God. He is the very reason that we live and breathe. He is the very reason we're able to gather here this morning. He is the one who has revealed himself to us and who calls us to him. These truths should change our lives. Now maybe you're here this morning asking yourself the question, who is this God that Christians keep talking about? Or maybe you've been a Christian for a while and you've, you've lost your zeal, your initial love for the Lord because of the difficulties in your life. Or maybe you're here and you'd say you're a Christian, but God doesn't play any other role in your life outside of a Sunday. However you come here this morning, look at these truths and know that this is your God. This is your creator who loves you, who knows you, and who wants you to know him too. These truths should change the way we live because it should change the way we view God. Stories, they, ha- they play a massive role in our lives and in our world, whether that's because they connect grandparents and grandchildren or because they give voice to our joys and our fears or because they express what we're feeling. The greatest story of the world, the beginning of our lives, doesn't start with our first breath. It doesn't even start with our parents. Our lives and everything we know start with these words. In the beginning, God. Every other story in the world pales in comparison to that. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that from the very beginning you existed. That you have no beginning, that you are eternal, that you are an all-powerful God who creates. And we thank you that from the very beginning you you planned to send your son Jesus Christ. who came to breach that gap between humanity, a sinful humanity, and a holy God. Jesus, we thank you that you willingly went to the cross and died in our place. And Holy Spirit, we thank you that you have opened our eyes to see the beauty of the gospel. And Father, for anyone here who does not yet know you, we pray that they would investigate these claims and that they would one day come to know you for themselves. Father, we pray that we would leave this building today better disciples, better followers of Jesus who have a greater view of God and help us to take that into every day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.